Welcome to the podcast, episode 15 of the Noel Kassler podcast. I'm back here with my main man, Jimmy Kennedy, to break down the week's events. Jimmy, how you doing today? Pretty good, bud. Uh, I'm a little nervous to have an iPhone that Trump might try to get my data next. You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, you might be too old for him, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. What was it? Was a 17 year old was also a guy that he was interrogating. So, well, and they went after you know one of Adam Schiff's staffers' children. They they subpoenaed the mm. record. And the most amazing thing about that story, and we'll get into it here in a minute, but, um, you know, Michael Schmidt, who broke the story at, at the New York Times, was on Maddow last night, and he said they were doing it up until three days ago. The mm. Justice Department just stopped this collection of metadata when it leaked and they got embarrassed about it. When Apple finally told Congress and these reporters, hey, you know, we had to give your phone records to the Department of Justice, that's when they stopped doing it. So everyone's mm -hmm. initial reaction was like, hey, this happened under the, you know, Trump administration. And it did. You know, this stuff started with Jeff Sessions and Bill Barr. But the fact that it continued and if you read the New York Times article, the guys that were doing this, you know, on Barr's behalf and Trump's behalf are still there, you know, and they were still taking like, you know, Michael Schmidt's emails up to like two weeks ago or a week ago, you know, like he's like, why do they still need my emails? Trump left in January. So it can't be overstated how ridiculous and scary that is and, and how punitive a person Trump is. You know, he was trying to get dirt on people, as I always say on Twitter and as I always sort of tell people on this podcast, Trump's M.O. is getting compromised on people and then he can get you to do what he wants. So mm -hmm. he wanted to find some, you know, skeletons in Adam Schiff's closet. They weren't investigating the Republicans. You know, they weren't investigating the Republicans on the Intelligence Committee. <laughs> they were investigating Adam Schiff, Shifty Shift as they call them, because they they decided he was the demon. And that kind of thing is like is terrifying. I mean, that's full dictator, North Korea, Russia, like nobody would speak out. Journalists would be afraid. That's like three steps from like public hangings, you know, on the White House lawn, which is where we were headed if he got reelected. I don't care what anybody says. I know the man. He's a sadistic MFer. You know, he's a crazy <laughs> dude who's obsessed with any slight and perceived enemy. So it was a chilling thing. I'll, I'll dive into Bill Barr in a minute. But what are your thoughts on that, Jimmy? Well, immediately when I think about, you know, Trump and all the information he was able to gather, it's like, well, that makes you kind of a hypocrite thinking about Hillary Clinton and her emails, for one, having access to servers. And then I also thought of like the Trump Tower situation when he had his guys try to wire the phone to, to uh, listen into the mob. Yeah. It's the same deal, just with Congress as the as the character, you know? And like I just said, that's his MO. He gets yeah. compromise on people and that he owns you for life. And he clear, clearly owns the entire GOP. Think of how quickly Lindsey Graham, to use just one example, did a complete about face. He played one golf game with Trump and was like, oh, this is the greatest guy since sliced bread. <laughs> I fully support him because Trump was like, hey, buddy, I heard you like whatever it is you like. I got tapes of it. You, mm -hmm. I own you now, little man. And that's, you know, ironically, B Biden is over meeting with Putin right this weekend. He's at the G7 summit. Mm -hmm. So a lot, uh, it came out in the news last night, you know, people were sort of remembering Trump's visit with Putin at Helsinki, you know, in 2018. And that meeting is probably like the apex of, of what went on with Trump. 
okay? My take on that meeting, and that's a meeting where Trump immediately got up and took the minutes away from the interpreter, literally took the paper record and was like, this is mine, <laughs> you know? Because mm-hmm. what I think happened was Putin pulled out a laptop or something and said, hey, dude, and started scrolling through videos, the compromise he'd been collecting on Trump for 20 or 30 years. And I'm not talking about a P-tape in Moscow. I'm talking about all the brothels that were operated in Trump Tower and his other properties that were common knowledge in that world. Those buildings had Russian poker dens, Russian brothels, place to go buy cocaine. If you worked on Wall Street, you knew about it. You know, it was part of what he offered. You got NYPD protection. You wouldn't get busted if you were going in there to buy an eight ball, you know, or a woman. And he got away with it. I think Trump had a frequent flyer pass to those brothels. And since he was the king of compromise, he was too stupid to think that they'd be collecting it on him. So I think they were like, go there anytime you want, Donnie. You know, you're you're our partner. And I think he went there all the time. And then I think Putin pulled out a laptop and said, hey, remember Svetlana? Remember Maria? Remember this one? And Trump's a kinky dude. He's a violent guy. If you read you know, the transcripts of what went down in Epstein's house, you know, he was beating on these 13 year old girls. Sex is violence to him. He's not making love and horn. He's, he wants to dominate and humiliate his partners. And that's why he picks on little girls. Cause I think they made fun of him when he was a kid. Cause he couldn't read, you know, yeah. if you see him in press conferences, he's got deep seated anger issues towards women as all violent sexual predators do. So I think that's what Putin showed him. And if you look at his body language, as soon as that meeting ended, he was reek right from game of thrones he was a broken man and i've no trump i was worked around him he stands up straight you know he leans forward because he's wearing shoe lifts and a girdle but he's still (laughs) you know above six foot putin's like five seven and and trump was shorter than him when he came out of that room which could have just been like putin like and you're not going to be an inch taller than me when we walk out of here too you know or i'm going (laughs) to play the tapes in this presser but basically he was like you're going to walk out of here and you're going to tell these guys that you believe me over Mm -hmm. your own intelligence agencies. To think of how mind-boggling that is in a country that fought a Cold War for 60 years, that my grandfathers fought as intelligence Mm -hmm. officers and foreign service officers of this country from World War II on, to think that an American president on the world stage would say he's taking the word of our greatest enemy over our own hardworking men and women in intelligence who die every year, die in the service of gathering information and keeping our country safe. It's beyond the pale. And he got away with it like he gets away with everything else. So, of course, he turned his own Justice Department into the arm of the KGB. That's what that you know, report last night tells us that this guy was playing as dirty as it gets. And that's what Bill Barr does too. You know, Bill Barr is the guy who covered up El Mazote. He covered up his father's involvement with Jeffrey Epstein. You know, Bill Barr said he was going to recuse himself from the Epstein case because he, you know, he worked for a law firm that also represented Epstein. Then Mm -hmm. the very next day, he's like, nope, not recusing myself. I'm on the case, you know, and then six weeks later, Epstein's dead while in federal custody at, at Manhattan at MCC at Manhattan Correctional Center, which is like mm-hmm. they keep Al Chapo. You know, it's not the <laughs> kind of prison where you should just be allowed to kill yourself in the cell. And he probably had some serious assistance in doing that. And then the case went away and, and it, the FBI never raided his island. Right. Mm-hmm. After he got the sweetheart deal with Acosta, he got time to go back to the island where he ordered an industrial shredder and a tile remover from his sex castle, which was a replica of Donald Barr 
Bill Barr's father's book that he wrote about alien sex teenage slaves. I'm not making this up. I mean, it sounds, hey, this dude's crazy. I sound like Alex Jones or something, right? (laughs) Everything I'm saying is true. And I know people who went to Horace Mann, where Barr went to high school. It's like the top prep school in, in, in New York City up in Riverdale. He was a bully in school then. He was a bully when he was at Columbia in law school. He would help the cops beat up the anti-Vietnam War protesters. He's Opus Dei, which is a day, which is a weird ass cult, you know, which is also like my old crackhead neighbor, Larry Kudlow's Opus Dei. Larry Kudlow was Jewish and then he became Catholic. That that already tells you he's psycho. You know, <laughs> like that's a weird ass about face, you know? So uh it's the same stuff. It's it's protecting white men. You know, it's like Merrick Garland was like, yep, yeah, I guess we're going to let the Justice Department defend Trump because, you know, can't have somebody besmirch his name. He was doing it in the, you know, in the course of his duties. Really? T- telling the world that she was too ugly for him to rape was his yeah. official duty. Most men would say, I would never do such a thing. I'm completely offended with that. And I look forward to clearing my name and providing ev- any evidence you need to do that. That wasn't Trump's M.O. He wasn't like, no, I didn't rape her. I'm not a rapist. He was like, she's too ugly for me to rape. You know, like that, that that's yeah. not an excuse, bro. That's an admission of your personality and your psychotic guilt at a core level. You know, <laughs> that's assault, brother. Um, exactly. It's unreal. I mean, the fact that you you had let's go into the Ukraine scandal. This is like the second phase of Trump's criminality. You had, you know, they were wanting to get information on Joe Biden. And then you have this week too, a tape of Rudy, like explicitly asking a representative from Ukraine to look into Joe Biden and try to get dirt on him to Trump's advantage. You know, he's got all of these human shields, like you've described on the show before, where they'll take the culpability. But I, my question is, if he, even if Trump knows about it, isn't he somewhat responsible just knowing about it, being aware of these crimes that are going on? He's absolutely responsible. And he knows about everything that goes on. If you listen to the Lev Parnas tapes when they were discussing the Ukraine situation and Ambassador Yovanovitch, who was like sort of getting in the way of them, of Rudy's work, trying to get dirt on Biden. And they said, remove her, take mm-hmm. her out. That was Trump. He's like, get her out of there remove her. And then they literally had to fly her out of Ukraine because she was in fear for her life. She was going to get murdered. The State Department was like, you're no longer safe. Get on the next plane and get out of there. She was unsafe because an American president basically took out a hit on her. And they knew it was serious because Rudy Giuliani was executing that threat. Mm-hmm. Rudy Giuliani is a dangerous man. He's not only just a drunk, crazy lunatic, which he's always been, and a racist and just the worst. You know, I tell people <laughs> like, the only person I can think of who's a worse human being is, than Trump is, is Rudy Giuliani. You know, Rudy mm-hmm. Giuliani was like the first Trump in New York City. And they came up together and they worked in concert with each other. You know, Trump was involved with the Russian mob. I mean, with the Italian mob, right? And Rudy Mm kind of weeded out the Italian mob to make room for the Russian mobs. And then the Russian took over and made them all rich. And those connections that Rudy was was getting dirt with were Russian mobsters. That's who he was dealing with. You know, that's who Lev Parnas, you know, (laughs) that's who he was. You know what I mean? He'll tell you, you know, these were like, unseemly characters that were, you know, that dealt, that were transactional. And that's what Rudy is. And that's what Trump is. And that's what the entire GOP has become. You know, there's no democracy left right now. We have a chance to fight for it. If yeah. It worked in this last election. It's not going to work next time. And, and we've already said it in a previous episode. I know it's it's worse now <laughs> than it was when Trump 
was ending his term, which scares me for 2022 and moving forward. I was going to mention you brought up Giuliani. Uh, one of the things I saw him and Trump do together, there was a documentary called Giuliani Time. I don't know if you've seen it, but they had a clip from, I think it was the mayor's ball and they do like a roast. Yeah. And I- they had they had him dressed up as a woman and like, Trump was hitting on him and it was just like the creepiest strangest thing I've ever seen that you would see in some kind of acid dream or something that's funny well (laughs) I'll tell you what that is it was also like approximating Trump's MO right because he was shopping Trump would work the the room he would go to Asprey which is a fancy store in Trump Tower and go hit on chicks you know that were shopping (laughs) teenage girls at Starbucks and he would go to Bergdorf Goodman which is where he ran into E. Jean Carroll who's a famous woman that he knew. He had met socially. She was, you know, columnist in New York, literally about celebrity. Right, exactly. A famous person. It wasn't like he was wearing a ski mask in an alley. You know, he <laughs> yeah. was like, there's somebody I know. And he went over to her and he said, and if you read her account, this is in her account and how I know it's true beyond all the other reasons I know it's true. But he said, hey, I'm picking out a scarf, you know, from my secretary. You want to help me? Which is BS because the guy's not generous. He doesn't buy stuff. It was a line. And she starts to help him. And she's like, here, how about this scarf or whatever? And he's like, no, that's ugly. Not that one. Which I know that's Trump's personality. He has oppositional defiance disorder. Anything you tell him, if you say it's red, he's got to say it's yellow. Like he just has a knee jerk reaction that way. And if you listen to the testimony of Jane Doe or whatever you want to call her, the the 13 year old girl that he attacked in Epstein's house, how she describes that situation beforehand is in the same terms. You know, they were going down on him two 13 year old girls. And he's like, you're not doing it right. And started slapping him around. That's his personality. I know that's horrible to hear, but that's who he is. He's the kind of guy who would be a predator pedophile and still tell the person they're not even doing it right and start hitting him. You know, like he's a psycho. So he was there in Bergdorf Goodman's to be a predator. That's what he would do. He didn't work all day. You know, he he would do lines and, you know, snort his fucking Adderall or whatever, you know, and then he'd go walk around. And the family was happy to see him get out of the office because he's a pain in the ass because he would just sit there and read People magazine and call up page six and be like, hey, I got to leak a story about Donald Trump. He was seen with 18 of the most beautiful women last night and all the men were admiring him at Bungalow 8. This is John Barron. Bye. You know, he was a psycho. So the family would be like, get out of here. Go rape somebody, essentially. And that's what he would do. And he wasn't alone when he did that. I guarantee you there was a Keith Schiller or somebody, if not outside the dressing room door where he did that, standing by somewhere in Bergdorf. It's three blocks away, right? His office is at 57th and 5th. Bergdorf is up 58th, 59th, really, right by you know, Grand Army Plaza. He doesn't go anywhere alone. He, and he doesn't really walk. So he probably didn't walk, probably an SUV waiting outside and a security guard somewhere in that building with him. So he doesn't do this stuff alone. And his guys knew that. And it came out today that Keith Schiller has been paid like almost $600,000, like $583,000 or something by the RNC in the last four years. And I believe that's in addition to the $15,000 a month they gave him when Trump sent him out of Washington, D.C. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, when I worked for Trump, 
or on the Celebrity Apprentice. I didn't work for Trump directly. I worked, you know, for the production. But Keith Schiller is his body man. Okay, you know how Michael Cohn tries to paint it like he was the guy. That's bullshit. Michael's just trying to sell books in a podcast. He was one of his lawyers, the guy who paid off the porn stars and the victims, and you know said he'd take a bullet for him. Like he's no hero, Michael Cohen. Okay, he's conned a lot of people, but he's in it for himself. His only play left is selling you a book and a podcast and getting on <laughs> SNBC and acting like a woke, friendly guy. He's not. If Trump had brought him to DC, you never would have heard from him again. You know, as I've talked about before, but he tried to sell that book like I was the guy who knows where all the bodies are buried. Bullshit. Keith Schiller is the guy who knows where the bodies are buried because he buried them. You know, right. and he saw Trump whack him figuratively, right? So let me just finish. So Keith Schiller mm-hmm. knows everything. So the day after, you know, Keith Schiller's the guy who handed the your fired letter to James Comey. In the days yeah. after that, Jeff Sessions sets up an independent counsel. They hire Robert Mueller. What is the first thing Trump does? He says, "Get out of here, Keith," and he sends him out of D.C. And the RNC pays him $15,000 a month hush money. And now we learn that that's over half a million dollars, right? Because he's the guy who knows everything. If they call Keith Mm -hmm. before Congress, that's it. It's all, it's game over if that guy raises his hand. He'd lie under oath, but he's ex-NYPD. Say he did decide to tell the truth. It's all over. So they got to make sure Keith is well-fed, so to speak. And Keith, you know, was the guy standing outside the dressing room when Trump was snorting Adderall. Keith is the guy who broke into Harold Bornstein's office, who was Mm -hmm. Trump's doctor, who wrote the prescriptions and took all of his medical records when Trump became president. Like, that's who Keith is. He's the fixer. He's the guy. He was a rammer at NYPD. You know what that is? (laughs) Yeah. The guy guy who takes the big freaking thing and knocks down your door. And he went up to Trump in court and said, you need to hire me. He just happened to run into Trump. Trump was in one of his gazillion, you know, lawsuits that he's involved in. So Trump was down at City, you know, Hall at the courthouse and Keith Schiller happened to see him and said, hey, I work on the narcotics squad up in the Bronx. You need to hire me. And my theory on that is he found some Trump product. You know, he found some product loss in one of his raids that tied back to Trump and was like, put me on the payroll and that doesn't happen again. So Trump took him on in a temporary fashion and then made him full time. And Keith retired from NYPD and became Trump's, you know, He's the guy who beat up the protester in front of Trump Tower when he was running for president. If you ever mm. saw that video, you know, he's a, he's a psycho and he's a big, intimidating, bald headed like dude. You know, it's like the shield <laughs> that show on FX, that cop that was corrupted, man. Like, you know, a guy who sold his soul to even approach Trump that way. You need to hire me. Okay. That scares me a little bit, you know, that he just tosses his soul to the guy. But that's that's what we've seen with everyone. What I was going to say was... um thinking about the horrible things Trump has done to kids. Did anyone ever walk into the room and like punch him in the face? I mean, he's always, he's always got somebody to protect him. Right. That, exactly. You don't yeah. hack a woman in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman. Right. Unless you know, somebody's watching your back. Right. Right. She screams or says something security or somebody's going to walk in there. You know, that's why Trump always had NYPD guys with him. Cause those guys can flash a badge and say, nothing's happening here, buddy. Keep it moving. You know, that's why you hire those cops. And, you know, I worked in, you know, in the music business. That's why rock bands hire those guys, too. Not because they're assaulting women, but you're smoking a joint or you're doing some lines in your dressing room. If you got an NYPD guy on your or any other. Mm-hmm. I've worked with guys from Indiana, cops from Indiana. I've worked with in New York City with rock stars, you know. Oh, yeah. 
with the yeah. BC boys, they had some guys from Indiana. But you hire a cop because a cop, no matter where he's based in the country, can show another cop a badge and get anybody out of trouble. That's one of those un- other unwritten rules about white privilege. You know, like we were saying last week, get out of jail free cards. You got a dude standing there with a badge. That's way get out of jail free. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> like keep impunity. It right. That's do whatever you want. You know, and the NYPD is a gang. You know, there's some good guys, but there's a, they're, they're a real gang oriented like situation and their union representation are a bunch of thugs, you know, and a bunch of racists. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's disheartening. Like last night, there was, we do this on Friday, Tom Cotton was grilling an African-American a Pentagon appointee, right? A guy who's up for a big job at the Pentagon. And Tom Cotton was grilling him, you know, from his racist standpoint. And people don't think about this, but like in the military, all the elite troops that the, um, you know, that the officer corps is drawn from your Navy SEALs, right? Your special forces, your Green Berets. Those are all white dudes. Those are all white guys that get the the cool kick-ass jobs and the chance for advancement and end up at the Pentagon. We haven't had a a black secretary, you know, a secretary of defense since Colin Powell Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. So there's a lot of systemic racism in policing and in the military. You know, in Vietnam, like it was segregated. These guys were fighting and it was people were, were putting up Confederate flags at their forward bases in Vietnam. And they were making the black guys walk the point. You know what that mm-hmm. is? Like you go first through, through the jungle. So if we step on a mine, you're going <laughs> to die. That, that was common yeah. knowledge. That's how it worked. So yeah. that stuff is still existing in the infrastructure of this country. And men like Tom Cotton, you know, are trying to keep it alive. And, and you know, that's why this whole like critical race theory is, is the new like boogeyman to Fox News and the right because that what that is that that's a what they teach in law school to show people how systemic racism is built into the economic and judicial systems of the united states and how right. people benefit from that who happen to be white you know and i just saw dan crenshaw on fox news complaining about like they shouldn't tell us like we have white privilege like he was crying about it you do have white privilege you were one of those guys you got to be a navy seal and now you got to be in congress like it's insane, but they don't want the truth to come out. And they're now passing laws in Texas and Florida. And as fast as they can, they just passed one in Florida this week, you know, banning this stuff. Texas signed a law last week, banning teaching their history of slavery. Texas was the most slave place. They put their own referendum at the beginning of the Civil War. Like, yeah, we're always going to have slaves and we're always going to see them as less than human. Like, you know, it's Texas. Texas is a republic, technically. I mean, they, they're kind of their own territory i mean and they've they've threatened about leaving the union before like in modern time they've thought about leaving the union not seriously it's never fully uh surfaced but yeah i remember uh tom cotton talking about the hard-working folks of wyoming and you know it cuts to a the response from a person of color who was responding to him and it's like i never thought there were so many different words for white tom but thanks for letting us know now that guy's racist and his ancestors owned slaves. You know, you trace yeah. his lineage back to, you know, to slave days. And, you know, a lot of people did, but wouldn't it have been nice instead of fighting critical race theory now and still having this baked in racism, if we were like, hey, you know what? We screwed up. Like if after the Civil War, you know, before we even got into Tulsa massacres, which we talked about last week, if we were like, you know what? This was horrible. You know, mm-hmm. we did the wrong thing here. How do we make it right? 
Look around you. You guys helped build this. You own just as much of this as we do. Why don't we settle this now? Why don't we make it as easy for you to succeed as it is for us, right? You would have had still a rough couple of years and a lot of well-founded resentment, but we would have gotten over this stuff 150 years ago if Mm -hmm. we had done the right thing, if we had paid reparations and made African-Americans equal in the eyes of the law and the economy and the social fabric of this nation. But we didn't do that. And we're all poorer for it now. And what did they do in response? You know, what did that community give us? Jazz, Mm -hmm. music, blues. They still gave us soulful beauty and art. They still shared the best of themselves. They still helped build this country. They still fought in our wars, going back to World War I, going back to the Civil War, going back to World War II. Imagine fighting in World War II, you know, storming a beach and then coming home and having somebody tell you, you can't use Mm. the restroom you can't sleep in this hotel to call you boy in front of your son when you know damn well you're a man that fought for this country because that's what we did and that ain't right and we need to stop it we need to admit it we need to make it right because we're all so much worse off by not doing the right thing we had japanese internment camps like that happened guys during world war ii we would imprison American folks of of, uh, Japanese ethnicity. Like, we're so ignorant to our own preconceived notions about people that we get scared. You know, it's either love or fear. It bakes down to that in life, love or fear. And at this point, the United States has shown that they're a fearful nation. I mean, everybody's arming up. Isn't it like three people or three guns to every person now with the amount of guns in circulation? Well, there's 330 million people there was 400 million guns sold just last year. <laughs> or in so, I mean, jumped, you know, a huge amount just in the past year. Because when times got tough, what did people do? They went and bought guns and bullets, you know? Well, and you talked about it yesterday. Like, we need cheap gas to run these huge trucks. We're supplementing a culture that is going to just eventually kill us. Like, it's, it's not sustainable, this, this MAGA culture. Well, it's not just MAGA culture. I mean, it, 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 MAGA culture is how they've branded it. You know, the Koch brothers came up a lot this week, okay? The Koch brothers have petroleum refinery operations. That's the core of their business, right? They take crude oil and you crack it. That's what the process is called that breaks it down into gasoline, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a process that was invented by another company called Universal Petroleum, and they invented this process. Charles Koch went to or might've been Fred Koch, went to uh, MIT Mm -hmm. and came back and and partnered with another guy and basically ripped off this other company and took their process as their own and then started (laughs) Koch Industries, you know, and like undercut the other guys that had invented this. And there was a big lawsuit because it was obviously patent infringement, but they paid off enough people that they eventually won the lawsuit and, and then became the top guys of this in the world. And they went to Stalin and started doing it because the crude oil in Russia is even harsher, you know, mm-hmm. and their technique worked on it. So they even went over there when, when our greatest enemy, you know, Stalin, you know, like, <laughs> like the worst, when you think of the Red Scare and like the evil, you know, Soviet empire, that's your pit poster boy right there. 
Fred Koch worked for them. This, the, the, the dad, you know, there's another Fred Koch who just passed away. One of the brothers that uh, they cut out of the company because he was into the arts and stuff like that. <laughs> Not their macho ideology, if you read between the lines, you know. So they actually sent him out of Wichita when he was a teen because they were yeah. all these macho men and he was not right mm -hmm. and they even the brothers tried to blackmail him for his sexuality later on so charles and david are like chief scumbags right the dad was the, one of the big founders of the john birch society which is one of the you know preeminent sort of racist institutions and then they got into libertarianism but all the while what they're doing is they're building these pipelines and when Charles Koch took over to run the company, he still runs it now, he and his brother David were the main people on the board, they decided we can make more money. They came up with a management technique where they decided it was more profitable because they were buying up all these other pipelines. So they'd, they'd take over these other companies and they wouldn't maintain any of these pipes. And they decided, you know what? It costs more money to shut it down and do safety checks than it does to just run this stuff. And if we have an oil spill, we'll just pay the fine, you know, but it costs more to just aggressively do this stuff and pollute. And then they influence themselves in politics and their business is based on they're allowed to pollute the atmosphere as if it's just like their own backyard they can dump in. You know, that's the whole thing behind the petrochemical industry, you know, and they make everything now that starts as crude oil and ends up as a carpet. You know, a lot of things are made out of this stuff, out of petrochemicals. And they're also the main guys behind fracking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in Minnesota, they've dumped all this aviation fuel and stuff into wetlands because they bring down crude oil from Canada and refine it there. They dumped over a million gallons of ammonium wastewater into the Mississippi River. Their paper company, which is Georgia Pacific, right? One of their pulp plants in um, Arkansas poisoned a whole town. It, it started a cancer cluster where like <laughs> half of this town got wow. cancer, right? It's called the company store. There's a documentary on it, right? So I'm getting to my point here. So their whole business is based on their right to pollute the environment. And it's made them incredibly wealthy. Right. Mm -hmm. They're the largest. They're the, the largest private company in this country. So they can do whatever they want. There's no stock market telling them they got to put there. They've won capitalism. Right. They are capitalism. And they started <laughs> buying these guys. And one of the guys they bought was Joe Manchin a long time ago because he sits on the energy committee. You know, he sits in a state where talk about dumping in your backyard. When I was on a Crosby, Stills and Nash tour, we pulled in to do a show in Morgantown. And the tour uh -huh. manager was like, hey, guys, when we stay at this hotel, don't drink the water because they mm -hmm. just had a big oil spill in this river and the water's unsafe to drink. Right. So everyone's like, OK. And I forgot. And in my hotel room, I took a vitamin. I took water. You know how they have like a little cup in the bathroom, you know, sink. So I took some water to drink this vitamin. And when it went down my throat, it burned my throat. It burned my chest. I had to go to the doctor there. I had to go to the doctor in like Iowa two days <laughs> later. Like I was sick for a week and it was just legal. Like they just, they have a chemical spill and hey, don't drink the water. Yeah. So that's Coke Industries. That's what these guys do. And they buy politicians. So they bought Joe Manchin. So he has no choice but to go against the filibuster because Koch brothers don't want an educated electorate with democratic power, right? They don't want people voting them out. They want to own the politicians in North Carolina and Texas and Arkansas and all these states where they can do what they want. Tom Cotton's from Arkansas. One of their biggest companies is Georgia Pacific, who I just said poisoned a whole town in Arkansas, right? 
It's easier to own a politician than to have you know, a population rise up. They're also anti-social security. They're anti-health care because having workers <laughs> die young, it sounds draconian, but it's real. Having workers die young is also more, is better for the economic model. You don't have to pay them a pension. And right. there's an endless supply. If you have these poor factory towns that are uneducated and not well represented in Congress, there's always going to be 20 year old kids coming up that need to work. Right. And the, the congressmen don't care because they're going to get supplemented on the back end. And as elected officials, they're going to get kickbacks. Right. They get money. They get right. unlimited right. power. Manchin is a very wealthy man. We all know his daughter raised the price on the Ep- EpiPen, right? From 100 bucks to 600 bucks an EpiPen. Oh, he's connected to that? Heather Bresch. That's oh. his daughter, bro. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And they tried to have a Senate investigation into her and he freaked out. And that's why he blocked Neera Tandem's appointment. That's his okay. daughter. Look, I tell you about Joe Manchin, his own brother had to sue him. They had a family business and he and another brother wanted to save the family business. So they borrowed money from another brother, $1.7 million. And then they didn't pay it back. And the brother had to sue them, sue Mm. Joe Manchin to get his money back. What was the result? They settled. He eventually dropped the lawsuit. You know, somebody probably paid off the brother because by then he was governor. He was governor before he was, you know, senator. And he's an egomaniac who loves the power, but he's bought and sold as many of these people are. And I'll get to my original point. Mm -hmm. Pickup trucks. You get on the highway now, people are driving these massive trucks. It looks like you're going to raid Fallujah in the (laughs) Things. You got 25 inch wheels and it's jacked up like it's insane. Mm-hmm. You know, I see them every week here on 684, you know, in New York, in Westchester, dude, where you do not <laughs> need that thing. But uh-huh. those things, you know, they cost 100 bucks to fill them up. Mm-hmm. 100 bucks and you're getting 15, 20 miles a gallon or whatever they get. That's insane. The rest of the country has been paying five, 10 bucks, or rest of the world rather, has been paying expensive gas for a long time since the 80s. You go to England, you go to Italy, they're driving tiny little cars because they're not idiots and they can't pollute that much. And it's just the wrong thing to do. But America, you need an endless supply of these big vehicles that are going to burn all this gas because how you manipulate that same class of people I was just talking about that they're holding down. You also let them know that like, hey, you can buy this big pickup truck Mm -hmm. and it'll cost you a hundred bucks to, you know, fill it up because gas is 275 a gallon or whatever. Elect these Democrats and you're going to be paying four bucks a gallon. You know, see what I'm saying? So it becomes this lifestyle brand thing. That's why MAGA branded in all these pickup trucks and stuff. And it's why they say soy boy and stuff, because they also own meatpacking as a cattle ranching is another big part of their thing, which is the biggest polluter besides, you know, chemical, you know, particulate besides carbon monoxide. And but cows create carbon monoxide. Like it's not sustainable. I know cheeseburgers and steaks taste good, but the way they're raised on factory farms and stuff now is an Mm -hmm. ecological disaster. It poisons the towns they're in. It poisons the groundwater. It poisons the air with methane gas. It's insanely cruel to the animals, right? But that's a big part of their industry too. So you get people eating cheeseburgers in a pickup truck that gets shitty mileage and you tell them they're real patriots for doing it that way. (laughs) And anybody who's thinking any other way is just some soy boy, yoga, socialist, vegetarian from the city, Prius driver, right? (laughs) You get their psyche involved and that's what this whole thing is. But behind the scenes, it's these evil scumbags. The Koch brothers, I mean, 
Charles Koch actually lives in Wichita, you know, uh, but he's got a house in Palm Beach. He's got a house in Southampton. David Koch, the one who passed away, lives at 740 Park Avenue, which is where Steven Mnuchin lives, you know, which is a bunch of billionaires live in this one building. There's only 30 apartments. It's all billionaires. You have to have $100 million in the bank just to move into the building to get back forth. <laughs> And the and I'll shut up in a second. But David mm-hmm. Oak would come back every weekend from the Hamptons with his wife, and they'd have an a, an extra SUV full of luggage. And the doorman would have to haul all this luggage up <laughs> to their you know apartment, and they never tipped him. And then at Christmas they would give him a fifty dollar tip. And the guy's oh. a billionaire, and a check for fifty dollars. <laughs> don't don't you, cash that till Monday, right? But to give you an idea of how, like, when I lived in a doorman building, we would give the guy a couple grand a year cash at Christmas, you know. And yeah. I'm not a billionaire by any stretch, like, so to to let you know how cheap and unlike cool that is. Bill uh, Coke, the twin brother of David who passed away, has his own town in Colorado. He has a ranch so big that he built a Wild West replica town on it that he drives tanks around on. He collects like <laughs> military vehicles and he, he bought an old an old Wild West amusement park and put it on this town <laughs> that he owns on this ranch. It's so big, the property. And if, if you go on there, you have to sign an NDA and stuff. He's also the guy who won the World Cup back in like 90 something. And he, he paid $65 million to, to win the World Cup and made his crew like bring him on the ship, even though he doesn't sail. <laughs> he was just, uh, you know, or the boat rather, you know? Yeah, that's that's one way to spend your money. So this guy's essentially, he get, he's Shit's creek he owns his own town essentially like uh, that yeah but a lot bigger than Shit's creek you know and <laughs> that's, he's one, yeah that's just crazy i was watching um wall street yesterday i, I wanted to get back into that i've seen it a couple of times but th- there's a scene in there when uh michael douglas is talking to charlie sheen charlie sheen says to michael douglas why are you doing this to this uh airline company that they're trying to buy he's like because it's wreckable and that's what I think they think the world is. The world is wreckable to them. And by the time it is wrecked, they're going to be dead. So they don't care. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're literally their guiding philosophy, which their father sort of developed, which was that government had no place in capitalism, that capitalism would ultimately correct itself and police itself, but in no interest for the people. You know, that's the <laughs> same thing that gave you the industrial, you know, all the big industrialists that would like pay cops to shoot the people that were trying to unionize. Capitalism, if left unchecked, will chew you up. It will chew up people like this week, you know, Chipotle has a CEO who owns a bunch, you know, owes a bunch of money in New York City, right, for unfairly paying workers and all this kind of stuff, lack of overtime. The CEO of Chipotle made them move the corporate headquarters to Orange County, California, where he lives. Mm. Right? He was just like, you have to move the whole company to be closer to my house because I don't want to move for Denver to Denver. And they did it. (laughs) They did it. They listened to this guy and did it. You know, this guy who's paid 2000 times what somebody who's making your burrito and you want cheese, you want guacamole. (laughs) (laughs) If you ever saw Sebastian Maniscalco, he does the best. Oh, yeah. uh, I started crying when I first I've met. I worked with Sebastian on uh, Jerry Seinfeld's charity at Carnegie Hall. He seems like a really cool guy. Super cool guy. Super awesome. Like gave me a big hug at the end of the night. His wife, Lana, is great. You know, um, just a really cool guy. Really funny. Really animated. Built up his own scene. Like he wasn't in, he wasn't on TV and stuff that much. 
And he was making millions a year touring. Like he had a huge audience. He sells out the garden, like sells it out like three shows in a row. But anyway, he wasn't discovered. He was a waiter at the Four Seasons in LA and he went and worked out at the comedy store, you know, got to, he worked his way up. And then uh, the guy, uh, the really cool guy from New York in the eighties, he was like a- Dice? Yeah. Dice yeah. would take him yeah. out on the road as an opener. So that's where he got a lot of his, okay. uh, a lot of his stage. I was going to say, he's got a similar style to Dice. And I thought I had heard that he worked with him for a while. Yeah, so. he was his opener, man. He, yeah. he opened for him in Vegas and all this kind of stuff. And Dice is a sweetheart. I met Dice. Dice was on Celebrity Apprentice. Dice is a... Oh, I forgot he, about that, he, man. He's a very cool guy. Yeah. Uh, who else? Um, Jesse James. He was also on yeah. there. I got a picture of Jesse James. <laughs> Jesse James. He was kind of a dick. Really? Oh, he was married to who's he married to? He was married to what? Sandra Bullock, and he cheated yeah, yeah. on everything. You know, he's but they aren't married anymore. Did they get no, divorced? He cheated on her. He was cheating on her with I think like the tattoo person. You know, one of these tattoo oh, right. chicks or something from uh, from L.A. Inc. or whatever. Right. But um, also, man, like with this Apple story coming out, it makes me question like Trump and what he was complaining about with like big tech. Big Tech is giving you these records and allowing you to listen in to the other side. What are you complaining about with Big Tech and like Twitter taking your account away? You know, Apple's giving you everything you need. I know. And is that that they made him, you know what I mean? He wouldn't exist without social media. It was the best. He would exist. But, you know, it was page six and it was, you know, showing up at events. And then Twitter just made him, you know, a big star. And you know, also when he talks about like he was saying like Obama was spying on me and stuff, that was cover because he knew he was spying on everybody else, you know, and he knew if it came out, he could blame it on somebody else. But screw him. We've talked about Trump enough that I think the Koch brothers thing is good and, and, and how that like, you know, that the CEO, you know, the Chipotle guy and yeah, all of these sense. guys are just like, you know, they're completely overpaid and Citizens United, which was another Koch brothers project, which, the, you know, was the Supreme Court ruling that recognized corporations as citizens and said they could give as much as they wanted to, you know, political campaigns and they could start super PACs and spend as much money as they wanted influencing elections was the end of it. Because that gave us the Tea Party at first, you know, which was an outcropping of libertarianism, you know, which wasn't mm-hmm. radical enough for the Koch brothers. So they needed something more. They came up with the Tea Party and that gave us Ted Cruz. You know, that gave us all this like performative trolling as politics. If you remember mm-hmm. the Tea Party is when they'd show up during the healthcare debates at like council meetings back in home states of congressmen and just disrupt the thing and start yelling and blah, blah, blah. It just, it lowered the discos. You know, it gave us the Sarah Palins and people like that, you know, <laughs> you know, and that's what they did. They want to destroy it. They're chaos agents. But back to my original point, they're living it up. They're living in Manhattan. Charles does live in Wichita, but as I said, you know, he's got his places on the East Coast. These guys manipulate the heartland and the heartland doesn't see it because they can't get past their own racism and their own conditioning. And it's like I said at the beginning of this thing, what if we had made things right after the Civil War? You know, what if we said this was wrong? You're not supposed to enslave people. And they built this place. All this wealth that we see around us is a result of their hard work. And we're going to share it with them. And we're going to design our laws to protect them too. 
and educate their families. Then that racism, which is always going to be there in human nature, because it's just always part of it, you know, Europe and like Europe, Europeans are like super racist, you know, like even the nice ones, they just like, they'll tell jokes about Belgium, you know, (laughs) it just, that's kind of the way they are. But, um, you know, imagine if we had learned to live side by side in harmony and not strife, you know, African-Americans shouldn't still be fighting for the right to vote. Right. Mm-hmm. Here we are in 2021 and you got upteen states enacting these voter restriction laws, which are basically making it impossible for minorities to vote as impossible as they can. So they can have your Marjorie Taylor Greens, you know, your Lauren Boebert. All of those people are a result of what the Koch brothers have done to this nation. You know, and it, it has started under Reagan. You know, I know mm-hmm. you love Reagan, but I hate <laughs> Reagan. <laughs> Jimmy well. Reagan. Tell us about Reagan, Jimmy. Well, the Fairness Doctrine, which was a a specific thing that was aimed at network, both radio and TV, that you give equal time to the opposite party or the opposite view to allow them the opportunity to have the airwaves because the airwaves are a public good. You know, if you aren't serving the public interests of the people listening, then technically you, you lose your license. But talk radio has pretty much eliminated that as a excuse. But um Reagan got rid of that in the 80s, and that's what allowed for Fox News to be created and all the crazy talking heads that you hear push this fascism rhetoric. It was all Ronald who got it started. (laughs) Sure was, and he started a lot of other things, too. Homelessness was basically created, (laughs) you know. He he regulated all the mental institutions, and it just dumped people out on the streets with no safety nets. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a, you know, I came of age then. I was, you know, nine years old when, when Reagan was elected, and I remember you know, in DC, I was living outside, right outside of DC. And back then, before Reagan came in, you'd have what we called bag ladies and stuff. You know, there was always people that were going to kind of end up on the streets, either through substance abuse, alcoholism, or just mental issues. They didn't get the help they needed. And they'd walk around with carts or whatever. And they were just kind of there. It was like more of a hobo kind of thing, right? And there wasn't a gazillion of them. When Reagan came in, you know, and we'd go down to the National Mall on school trips and, you know, with my mom on the weekends to look at galleries and museums, they just, it quadrupled, you know, within a couple of years of those policies, homelessness just became this massive issue. And the Mm -hmm. same up here in New York City. I mean, it just blossomed. And it's, unfortunately, it's back there now. I've never seen it worse than it is in New York City right now. And, you know, it, it indoctrinated people into this culture of like demonizing the other, you know, and not addressing the commonality of ourselves as a nation. Like you mentioned Fox News, like it's not news, it's hateful propaganda. They weren't reporting yesterday on the shooting, right, in a public, you know, grocery store in Florida that left three people dead, including a mother and her 23-year-old toddler. You know, that uh-huh. should be stopped the press. And it wasn't even in the news yesterday on either of the news. It wasn't on MS, you know, NBC either, because we were dealing with what Barr's latest revelation. But think about that. You know, every man in this country sh- and woman should be disgusted. You know, a woman's going to buy food for her child and they both lose their lives in a grocery store, mm-hmm. right? Because of our s- insane gun laws. And in a state where they'd rather have you have a gun than vote. Well, and you have Trump, who you, you've talked about his behavior with models, like Trump, both in his personal behavior and in policy, has normalized things. Like these gun things happen so often that nobody even cares anymore. We've become desensitized to it. You know, yeah. we're like, well, that's what happens. I mean, how many shootings have there been in the last two weeks? You can't even keep up with it. It's uh-huh. no longer the outrage that it was 10, 20 years ago. 
you know, it's kind of like, yep, that happens every day. I can't think about that right now. I got to, I got to get on to the 15 other things that are happening. You know, we've come to accept it. It's part of American life. Now you might get shot when you go out to the store by an automatic weapon, because again, the Koch brothers, Fox news, all these people are manipulating the politics to serve their ultimate interest. Their ultimate interest isn't really having people with guns. It's the idea behind the guns that you need one. It's selling Mm -hmm. people the fear of the other. It's all again, baked into racism, baked into my sort of thesis statement for this show. What if we had made things right after civil war? The entire NRA and this whole gun industry was telling fearful white people in the suburbs that you better arm up, you know, or those, the, you know, or the folks are going to come from the city and they're going to attack your family. And the policies of Reagan, you know, and the policies before that, that let inner cities become war zones fed into that narrative. Look how scary it is there. 15 year olds have guns. You know, look how Fox News always talks about Chicago. You know, they don't talk about like. Koch brothers have a factory in Chicago. They have a refinery like where they take fracking fuel in the south side of Chicago and it poisons the people who live in the south side of Chicago, which is one of the lower income areas and the minority areas in the African-American parts of Chicago. They don't talk about that fear on Fox News. They don't say, hey, one of our biggest corporate sponsors and the guy who owns all of the politicians that we have on every night is hurting more people in South Central than the guns. But they are in South Chicago, rather. But you can farm it out to South Central, too. It's the same thing. South Central was set on fire by Reagan and the CIA bringing up boatloads of cocaine, you know, and being like, here, sell this. You're not going to have a job or anything, but sell this. And then here's a bunch of guns and let's see what happens, you know, to a people that have been brutalized for 100 years. But mentioning that kind of story would affect Rupert Murdoch's bottom line as the owner of Fox News. And he's going to continue to keep this... uh, revolving door of bs broadcasting it's because there's money yeah there's money in it man it's all about the money it's all about who is gets to keep the money and keep the unlevel playing field you know as i say every single week it's about like we're not going to win a fair fight so we need to make sure that it's like rigged in our favor so we can make more money than we'll ever need and pass it on to our children. You know, it came out this week that Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Mike Bloomberg, like I can see Mike Bloomberg's you know, <laughs> horse farm from my window where I'm sitting, where his daughter rides. <laughs> you know, okay. if you yeah. saw the grandeur of this place and you think about the fact that that guy didn't pay any income tax, you know, because it's like less than 1%, something like right, that. Exactly. You know, and Bezos is, is yeah. getting ready to build a rocket ship and go to outer space. How about paying for the planet you haven't taken care of first, you know, like, yeah. But it's insane. And that sort of way of life is protected. And it's just, you know, it's hard. Like, as you said, it's, it's hard not to lose hope. You don't have, you don't have to lose hope. You have to, uh, you have to see the truth. You know, awareness is what gets you out of this. Awareness is what solves any problems in life. You can't fight against things. If you're having a problem in your life, like you're addicted to something and you're trying to resist it, it's never going to work. You're just going to be applying your self-will to this thing that you're sort of powerless over. If you become aware of something and don't Mm -hmm. even necessarily do anything about it at first, but just be aware of it, you know, just step back and like take some awareness and see what the truth is in that moment, you know, and align yourself with presence and being in the moment, then a solution will appear. 
then the help will be there that you need and you can move on. Like sometimes you got to throw up a white flag and surrender because you're trying to save yourself. And a lot of this stuff now is trying to drag us down. You know, it's trying to foment this unrest and this negativity, you know, and I'm a big part of it because I think my job as a comedian is to kind of tell you the truth. I want things to work out for the best, but I don't want you to be Pollyannish about it. So many people in my replies are like, just hang on. They're building an airtight case. No, you are the same people who is putting its Mueller time, you know, memes in my replies two years ago when I told you he wasn't going to do anything to Trump. Right. He was an institutionalist. He knew when he, you know, Rod Rosenstein, who was the same guy who was taught up, tied up in these investigations we just talked about, where mm-hmm. Bill Barr and Trump were spying on, you know, Adam Schiff and reporters' emails. Rosenstein was all over that. Rosenstein was the guy who picked Mueller. He knew Mueller wasn't going to ever charge the president while he was the president, you know, and Trump mm-hmm. just had to sit tight. And Jeff Sessions knew that too, but Trump freaked out because he's such a criminal. He had so many other things to hide. That's why he was like, Keith, get out of here. <laughs> get out of DC, Keith. They got a special counsel. That's why he said, I'm fucked. That was the first thing he said when they told him about special counsel. Oh my God, I'm fucked. Because he knows he's a criminal. You know, trying to like, cover his ass. Trying to cover right, his ass. Right. And it, instead he was too stupid to understand that the system would cover his ass anyway. And that's what we're seeing now. He's already gone. He's already gotten away with the crime. And the system is still working on his behalf. The DOJ is still like, hey, we're going to defend this guy against a rape charge. What? The DOJ should be like, wait a minute, a former president was even, it was even insinuated, not just that it was insinuated. Trump's got 200 credible accusations of sexual assault. He's got six women on the record saying he attacked them. That's not even hearsay. Those are all things you can Google right now, which means there's about 2,000 of them in real life that haven't come forward, including my friend who was groomed by him when she was taking figure skating lessons at Trump Rink when she was a little girl and ended up in Epstein's townhouse as a young woman and Mm. still is a broken woman to this day. You know, she still hasn't gotten over that because she was just abused and used and went into a sad life that happens as a result of that addiction and all kinds of horrible things and men taking advantage of her. So, you know, they, they should have been like, we need to clear and defend the office of the presidency, not against rape accusations, but Find out if they're true and make sure it never happens again and make sure that this Justice Department doesn't serve the evil ends of one man, but represents the good of all people. Well, and, you know, what what really makes me sad, you know, one of my best uh, moments in life uh, was winning the Prudential Spirit of Community Award. I won that when I was in sixth grade. And it's essentially an event that culminates in gathering America's top volunteers. So you had a middle school winner. I was in sixth grade and you had a high school winner. And then there was another guy from Indiana. And uh, I ended up getting stuck in the Lincoln Memorial in the elevator. It was a really heavy brass elevator. And a uh, set of grandparents came on with their grandchildren and they started pressing all the buttons. And uh, I had to like wait a couple extra minutes and they had to go on the radio and say, we've got a Indiana State representative on the uh, Lincoln Memorial elevator, you know, because it was it was old. But my point in that is, it was it meant something to me to go to Washington, D.C. and to represent the United States in something like humanitarianism. And then you see the Capitol, you know, the, an insurrection attempt at the Capitol. It just kind of chips away at that experience. It doesn't mean as much anymore because it was all it's all crap. Everything I've ever learned 
or thought I believed in as an American. It's kind of different now. Well, I get it. I mean, I worked on Capitol Hill, as I said, as a bike courier, and I would be proud, you know, when I rode down Independence Avenue and you'd look at the mall and you'd look at the Lincoln Memorial in the distance, or when I stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, you know, with President-elect Obama and his family right behind me on a 10-degree day in January and found myself standing next to David Axelrod, his campaign manager, and turned to David and said, hey, I just want to thank you for what you've done to get this man elected. And he put his arm around me and said, turn around. And he said, I didn't do anything. They did. And he pointed out at the mall and there was 2 million people there who showed up in the cold to watch this country's first African-American president and his beautiful family take his place in history. And I could cry right now thinking of that moment. You could feel it. You were electric. It was the, the good things had won. Democracy had won. And it always does in the end, Jimmy. Okay, so don't give up hope, man. We're going to get back there. That's where we're in. This is where you earn it, brother. It doesn't come for free. You got to fight for it. That's what we're in now. We're in the fight, man. You know, we're going to root this stuff out, you know, and then we're going to go on to a better way that that has, you know, sunlight of the spirit for everybody. It's like Dr. King was talking about, you know, he was envisioning a future where everyone was equal, where little kids can play together. You know, and that's what we got to get back to. And we'll get there, dude. What do you want to talk about? This is about the end of the episode. Jimmy's crying, everybody. You can't see it at home. I, I, I get people choked up. There's no shame in the game. I got choked up. I could cry in a heartbeat thinking about that. You know why? Because it was the truth. You know, I can always sense a moment when there's truth in it. You know, Simone Biles, this gymnast that everyone's seen, shout out to her. She just won like the seventh like world championship of gymnasts. She's the greatest who's ever lived. She's this yeah. young African-American girl. Every time I see her perform her routine, I start crying. I don't know why, but it brings me to tears because it's the truth. There's something in her expression where you can see that her soul was meant to do that. And it's playing, yeah. you know, it's dancing, it's living to their potential. And that makes us all richer it's like racism is turning away a gift that was meant for you. You know, it's like showing up on a Christmas morning with a beautiful meal and a grandma who wants to hug you and a bunch of presents under the tree and being like, I don't want any of that, you know, and turning around and walking back out into the cold, sitting with yourself, you know, instead of sitting around a fire and letting humanity warm you. That's what you lose. That's what we all lose. And the more you get Simone Biles, the more you get, Barack Obama's, the more you get people willing to show you the truth, the more awareness you get. And the more people become aware, the more re they reject the darkness. And that's where we're at, man. That's why we're doing this podcast. All right. Let me just say to that, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay, everybody. Uh, just having a moment. A lot of this too has to be get out of your comfort zone. Don't, don't be comfortable with your life. Get out, talk to different people. That's how you develop humanity. And we need it now more than ever. So get out there and talk to people. Well said. Well said, buddy. Yeah, that's how you change the world, man. You stop thinking about yourself. You say, how can I help? Somebody asked Mother Teresa. They said, you know, how do I get enlightened? Like, how do I become like you? You know, I want to I understand like God or something. And she was like, oh, you want to understand God? This was in Calcutta, right? She said, you go out of here right now. Go out into the streets. Find the sickest, most suffering person you can sitting somewhere hungry in the shadows, 
Put your arm around them and let them know they're not alone. That's how you can know God. You're here to love. You're here because God wants to hear the birds sing, man. You know, you're here to be alive and, and realize you're at a feast. And all these thoughts and desires and conditions that you've been sold are keeping you from it. Go beyond it. Go beyond yourself. You know, just be in the present moment. It's all right there. One, one more quick story. My One of my best mentors, Dr. Chuck Dietzen, he's the guy who uh, helped me found that professional wrestling event. If you follow Noel on Twitter, I put several threads up about the uh, how Vince McMahon and Donald Trump have known each other over the years. My mentor for that event, Dr. Chuck Dietzen, founded Timmy Global Health and went to Calcutta in 1997 and met Mother Teresa. And I have one of her medallions from 1997. It's got a thread from one of her shots in it. And it's just something that means a lot to me. And we need we need folks like that, that have a we need profits. I mean, you've talked about musicians being profits. It's just a different form, you know? Yeah, man. Well, the, yeah. there's profits everywhere, man. Animals can be your profits. You know, animals are always <laughs> telling yeah. you the truth. The animals aren't lying. They're all the same, dude. Anything with yeah. eyes has the same consciousness that we do. That's how this thing works. If the yeah. thing has eyes and a face, it's feeling the same things you are, man. And that's all you need to know, man. The meaning of life, like Carlos Santana told me, you know, my life and your life have meaning and the universe has purpose. That's it. Yeah, it's that's no it. mystery. And it's not, you can't take any of it with you. You can't, the only thing that goes with you is love. That's it. So you might as well give out as much as you can while you're here because you'll get it back tenfold on the other side. Yeah. Do you have a music story this week? Yeah, I guess. What do you want to hear? Well, I feel, feel like we're almost at an hour. What about yeah, a quick Bruno one? I'm a big Bruno Mars fan. He's a big Bruno Mars fan. Jimmy Kennedy likes the Bruno Mars. Well, I did the Super Bowl with Bruno Mars. I did uh, two Super Bowls with Bruno Mars because he was so good at the one we did in New York that we brought him back to the one in San Francisco, I think, where Coldplay was uh, oh, cool. performing. But Bruno's the man. Bruno's awesome. I remember the first gig I ever did with Bruno was the VMAs in Las Vegas. And it was right when he was breaking. And he was sort of brand new, but he'd been given like a big spot on that show. And I was doing this thing with Lenny Kravitz and this comedian that I really like, Kevin Hart, right? And Kevin was just hadn't blown up yet either, you know? Okay. And I remember I, I took Kevin back to his car after the thing and he drove himself and he was in a like a beat up nissan pathfinder and, and, we go, and i go that's your car dude and he goes hell yeah man i'm a comedian i saved my money you know <laughs> and now he's driving you know bentley's and you know he, he blew up but he hadn't blown up and he was doing this little bit with lenny kravitz and stuff but across the hall we were doing it at the staples center was bruno mars and he had his band in there and he was performing with his band. You know, he was uh, warming up in the dressing room. He brought all the band in there and made sure we had like live monitors and everything to capture his performance, you know, to, cool. to jam. And I'd never seen anybody do that. And I'd been in the business 20 years at that point. And nobody on these TV shows ever actually focused on the music. You know, and that might be hard for people to believe. 99% of the time, they're just playing to a track. Anyway, you might get a live vocal, but when you see the band playing behind them, you know, sometimes there's a house band, but if it's a, if it's not a house band, it's a track, you know, even if it's the band and you're like, oh, it's the Red Hot Chili Peppers, they're playing to like, a, you know, they call them STEM, Pro Tools things. These guys were playing live, you know, and he's an incredible musician. I mean, the guy's been playing since he was five years old. He used to be like a Michael Jackson impersonator and uh, comes from a musical family in Hawaii. 
And then I did the Victoria's Secret runway show with him, which oh, I, I remember that one. Yeah. I, 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 spent I tuned day. in for that one. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, he got <laughs> mad at me that morning because I wasn't smiling. I was looking all tense, you know, and we went up to like this pre-interview upstairs and all these models are getting their makeup on like the angels and stuff, you know? Yeah. And I'm kind of just standing there like with a stern look on my face. And he's like, man, none of you guys are smiling. Why aren't you smiling, <laughs> man? You know, my job is kind of like to look serious. If I'm sitting there with a goofy look on my face in front of the models, they'll kick me out of there. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, Gotta talented, keep your composure. Exactly. Really talented guy. That's the kind of guy who's going to have an amazing career for decades and decades. I mean, he's, oh, yeah. He is phenomenal producer. Just, I couldn't say enough good things about him, you know? So I'm glad you like him. You got good taste. Yeah, I, there was, uh, when he played the concert here in Indianapolis, afterwards he went to a Waffle House and like took a Instagram picture. And I just, you know, being at, being at Waffle House at 1 a.m. and then Bruno Mars walks in wanting a plate. I couldn't imagine working a shift like that, you know, him walking in. But well, there you I, go. I hope to see him in, in concert at some point. Yeah, I'm sure that'll happen. I'm sure that'll happen. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us. It's another episode. If you ever want to hear any musical stories, you're always welcome to hit me up, DM me, and I'll tell you some stories if I know the people. I've worked with a lot of people, and uh, I'm happy to share all the dirt on them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, though. All right, guys. Well, thanks. Be safe out there. It's going to be another hot one, and uh, just keep cool. Peace. <laughs>